If you have your Bibles, please open up to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back uh, sound booth area, if you can grab one of those. If you grab that Bible, we're actually going to be on page 869. That's Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 37 today. If you have the uh, Bible app, there's also a live event that you can follow along with us on your phone and try not to be distracted by all the updates. Uh, So while you're turning there, uh, I want to kind of put our minds on this idea of neighbor. Um, uh, My wife and I bought a house about five and a half years ago. And uh, one of the things about living in, uh, like owning your own house, is you begin to value like your land and the people around you uh, begin to matter. And so I, uh, I found myself trying to get to know the neighbors around us. Right? We have this. Um, we have incredibly awesome neighbors. I um, none of them are here, so they didn't hear me say that. But uh, we have some some really really great neighbors, and we look after one another. And uh, I realized that. I was just talking with different people, prepping for this series, and a lot of us know our neighbors. So we would say, oh yeah, I know, that's, you know, that's uh, Cynthia that lives next door, and the Franks on the other side, and um, you, know, who, you know, you can tell me their names, and you can probably tell me what they do for a living, or what their kids' names are, information, facts, about your, about your neighbors if you're doing really, really well. But the reality is we only really know enough about our neighbors to make us feel safe. Isn't that the truth? Rarely do we befriend our neighbors. Rarely do we do life with our neighbors. We get to know them well enough so that we are comfortable with them living next door to us. And in case something happens... I can say, hey, can you check my backyard or this, that, and the other? But do we know what's going on in their life? And uh, I feel like we have a really great relationship with the neighbors around us. But I can be honest with you guys this morning is I don't really know that much that's going on in the neighbor's life. And these are the people that literally live feet away from me. These are the people that are literally trying to hack into my Wi-Fi and use it for free, right? Like they're that close to me. Um, so, so I thought maybe this would be a great, uh, idea for us to take, uh, three weeks and really look and see what it, what does neighbor mean and how do we interact with those people around us and how do we, um, show the love of Jesus, uh, to the people around us. And so that's what I wanted to do because I want us to get past the idea of feeling safe, uh, and I want us to be dangerous, I want us to be dangerous because the reality is uh, we live in a world um, that is ruled by the, the kingdom of darkness, uh, and, and that the king of the kingdom of darkness is uh, desiring to distract and dupe the people around us, and I want, uh, I am not okay with us just sitting around letting the people that live closest to us um, live in bondage and slavery. I want us to see uh, my neighbors and your neighbors get freedom. And so this is, uh, this is a little bit different pace uh, that we normally have, that I normally like to start off with, but I, I want to set the tone for uh, what I really feel like God has for us as a church uh, to build upon for the next three weeks. So uh, let's look at um, 
let's look at Luke chapter 10. I just want to look at the first few verses because uh, we're going to look at this interaction between a lawyer and Jesus uh, before we do anything else. So he starts off on uh, Luke chapter 10 verse 25 says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That is a pretty great question, right? We've got to interact with that with our kids at VBS this past week. The, the question itself isn't a bad question, uh, but he is trying to put Jesus to the test. And so he asked them, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is pretty great. Um, it's pretty great. He says, well, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Because this person knows the law. He's an expert in the law. And so Jesus asked him a response. Well, what do you think? What do you think, it, what do you, think you need to do to inherit eternal life? And, um, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all th- with all your might and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He didn't say do this and you'll have eternal life. He said do this and you'll live. And so uh, just like typical lawyer fashion, they're not okay with just asking one question, right? They want to ask multitude of questions, and they want to try to trick people into answering incorrectly so they can say they gotcha. And so he, he desires to justify himself in verse 29 and says, well, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And I, I want to stop there because uh, I think we have these big questions that we ask God. And, and typically, when someone asks Jesus a question, he responds in two different ways. And he does, it, does both of these ways here in this passage, right? Uh, you see this over and over in the Gospels. When someone asks Jesus a question, he responds to them with a question. Well, what do you think it says in the law? He asked them this kind of follow-up question, and I think a lot of us are asking questions to God, and he's asking, he's asking follow-up questions to us, and we're just not okay with answering them. So he either follows up with a question, or he tells a story. And that's what we, we know this story, the story of the Good Samaritan, and we're going to look at it in a second. But he, uh, he does both with this lawyer today uh, that we're looking at this passage. He asks him a question. And then he tells them a story. And, and uh, the first thing that I want you to know is uh, when you're thinking about the questions, oh, there's no leg there. That's awkward. Um, when you're thinking about the questions, uh, these big questions, I want, to, I want you to think about the kind of questions that you're asking God. What kind of questions are you asking God? Because this lawyer was asking trick questions to God. He asked him this question, hey, how do do I inherit eternal life? He didn't care about inheriting eternal life. He was trying to trick Jesus into saying something that was uh, heresy so so he could trap him and tell him to get out of here. So what kind of question are you asking God? And, um, and these questions often reveal our heart. Um, he asks, and then he asks this question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? These, these trap questions. And, and, and the reality is we ask lots of questions daily of God. Uh, and sometimes we're not getting the answers that we want, and sometimes we're not getting the right answers. Uh, but, but the reality is we often don't get the right answers because we're not asking the correct question. We will always get the wrong answer when we're asking the wrong question. And so we need to learn how to ask the right questions of God. And so it's more than what kind of question are you asking, but it's why are you asking the question. 
Because I believe that this lawyer, when he was face to face with Jesus, he probably got a little nervous, right? Because Jesus is pretty smart. Um, and when Jesus said, well, you know, do that. And so he asked him that question. And he was like, well, so who's my neighbor? What was his heart behind that? What was his heart behind asking who his neighbor was? Uh, was he trying to figure out literally like, okay, so how many houses down from me in our village do I still consider these people neighbors? Was he trying to get like a literal, okay, like can we get a, a hard definition of who my neighbor is? Or was he just trying to figure out what the least amount of work that he could do and still be good with God? And I think a lot of us do the same thing, don't we? Hey, God, how many times a month do I need to go to church in order for us to be good? Or, hey, how involved do I have to get in order for me and you to be in a good place? And guys, I think we're asking, if we're asking that question, we're asking the wrong kind of questions. Because if our attitude is what's the least amount, of we, amount that we can do for the kingdom of God, it really shows us how much we really value the king. If you are trying to do the fewest amount of uh, jobs in the kingdom, you're looking at the king and you're telling him he is not worthy of all of your time. But the reality is our response to the king of the universe, that he who created everything out of nothing, shouldn't be what's the least amount that I can do, but what else can I do? I think that needs to be the attitude of our heart is, God, what else can I be doing? How else can I serve you? You have done so much that there's no way that I could possibly repay you by doing the things that I'm doing for you. And so I'm not trying to pay back a debt because it's impossible for me to pay. But what else could I possibly do to serve the king who has rescued me from the midst of my filthiness? That, that's the right kind of question that we need to be asking. And this lawyer has missed it because he's trying to figure out what's the least amount that he can do. How many boxes can he leave unchecked and still be good with God? Guys, that's, that's, a, bad, that's a bad mentality. That, that is looking at the king and say, hey, I don't value you. And I don't think that you guys would want to do that. But our actions, they tend to speak otherwise. And so Jesus looks at this man who is literally saying, hey, what's the least amount I can do and get away with it? And he tells him a story. He tells him the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And you know the story, but I'll, 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 keep us, I'll get, get us all on the same page. There was a, a Jewish man. He was walking home. And on his way home, he was attacked and beat up and robbed. And literally, all this stuff was taken from him. And he was, uh, the Bible kind of makes it, uh, makes it, tells us the picture of he was left for dead on the side of the road like a piece of garbage. Really. He was a piece of garbage on the side of the road in a pool of his own blood ready to be picked up on Monday when the trash people come by. And I, I'm sure that he's looking around pleading for people to come and help him. And he sees a priest he sees a man of God, someone that is a leader in the church, and he sees that person coming, and he is probably thanking the Lord at this moment. Thank you, God, for sending someone to come help me. And that priest, 
Man of God sees this person that is in desperate need of help, desperate need of being saved, left out for dead, and he goes and he switches the side of the road that he was on. He was on the same side as, he, as this man that is, that is dying, and he switches and goes to the other side of the road because he didn't want to look at him. Because what happens when we look at people that are hurting, when we make eye contact with them, we acknowledge their humanity, don't we? That's why when we're mad at people, we don't like to look at them. That's why when there's people that are asking for things and we don't want to deal with them, we don't like to make eye contact with them. Because when we make eye contact, it, it, it tells us something that they are actually a, a human being just like I am. It makes it real. This priest walks on the other side of the road, completely avoids him. A few moments later, a Levite, a, a, a man from the church, his family's been in the church for decades. His grandparents were in the church. His parents were in the church. Everyone knows that this person is uh, a God-fearing man. And this, and this man is lying there, and he probably sees him. He's like, okay, finally, this guy's going to help me. The priest, maybe he had a bunch of stuff going on. Maybe he was too busy to help me, which is a terrible terrible idea. This, the Levite comes, and he does the same exact thing. He sees the man, and he crosses the road, and he goes on the other side. He probably pulled his phone out and looked at it so he could look like he's busy. Probably, oh, I got to get this phone call. Sorry, I would help you, but I'm talking to no one. I'm pretending to talk to someone so that you can't look at me and you think that I'm not avoiding it. Well, I'll scroll a couple times on Facebook and distract myself so I don't have to deal with the elephant that is in the room that is a man that is literally dying next to me, pleading for my help, but I'm going to avoid him. These two people who are people of the church, men of God, were more worried about themselves and what they had to do and maybe their agendas or maybe what it might look like for them to be interacting with someone like that than actually helping someone else out. And then the story tells us that a Samaritan man comes through. And the, the people of Samaria and the Jewish people, they did not like each other. It wasn't kind of like, oh, hey, you're kind of a crosstown rival. They hated one another. And you would imagine that in the story, when you hear a Samaritan comes by and sees a Jewish man on the side of the road, that the natural response to that story would be the Samaritan kicks him leaves him there. But that's not what the Bible tells us. That's not what Jesus tells us in the story. He says that the Samaritan sees this man and sees that he's hurting. He sees that he is in need of someone to help him, and he bends down, acknowledges his humanity, and gives of himself. He gives of his time, he gives of his talents, and he gives of his treasures. He gives of himself. He literally put this man, he cleans his wounds and put this man on his mode of transportation. So now he's having to walk while this guy that is dying is on his vehicle, on his, on his, uh, on his mode of transportation. And he takes him to a hospital, an inn, and pays his way. He doesn't know this person. He's actually an enemy to this person, but he pays his way. And he looks at the innkeeper and says, hey, if there's anything else, I'll come back by later and I'll pay the rest. And Jesus tells this story to this person asking for the least amount of stuff that he could do because that person was probably person A or B in the store. And he says, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor in this story? And the lawyer, he's got. 
He's like, well, it was the person who showed compassion. He didn't say it was the Samaritan. You notice that? It was the person who showed compassion. And I want you to take a look at the text. In verse 37, this whole story, Jesus is telling this story. And in the Greek, when there is a verb in the imperative tense, that means it's a command. There's no commands in the story until the very end. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him in the very end of this story, you, go and do likewise. Two imperatives at the very end. Two commands. Go and do likewise. Who's the neighbor? It's the man who showed compassion. And so what I want us to think about is when we begin to ask questions of God, we uh, tend to get the wrong answers because we're asking the wrong questions. So what we need is we're in desperate need of transformation or a reshaping of our thinking. We need to reshape our thinking. The Levite and the priest, the person that was the most important person in their lives was themselves. They were more important. That's why they didn't look at the person that was bloody and dying next to them. Because it would inconvenience me. The first step in our reshaping of our thinking is that we have to know that he is greater than me. That he is greater than your agenda, your uh, 401k. He is greater than any hopes or dreams that you might have because the reality is he is actually the creator of all things. You might think that you're a big deal, but he is the reason you exist. He is greater than me. Uh, The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he begins to, uh, Paul, the author of Ephesians, begins to tell us about um, our depravity or how broken we really are and God's goodness and how awesome he is that he would show grace to us in the midst of our uh, terribleness, our awfulness, our uh, destruction of our own lives. But God leans down and gives us grace. And he goes on to say this in chapter 2, verse 10. He says that you are his workmanship. You are his workmanship. That Greek word is poema. Poema. It's this, it's this phrase, masterpiece. Prize possession. My wife and I were in Paris a couple of weeks ago, humble brag. Um, and uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. Uh, and uh, there's this kind of semi-famous art gallery in, in uh, Paris. If you've heard of it, it's called the Louvre. Uh, you might not have heard of it. It's it's ridiculous. And um, in the Louvre is probably the most famous painting that I can think of and most of you have heard of. Um, it's this picture of this lady who kind of looks a little frustrated that she's getting her, her uh, photo painted. Uh, her name's Mona Lisa, right? And um, you've heard of her, okay? Uh, and so we were in Paris, my wife's second time. She said, I can't be in Paris and not see the Mona Lisa and not go to the Louvre. And so we go into the Louvre, and they know how to do it right. They didn't put the Mona Lisa as like the first thing you come in there because they know people will turn around and go out. They, it's like a 
three-mile hike excursion, you have to like uh, climb ladders and swing from rope swings and all this kind of stuff in order to get there. Uh, that's what it at least felt like. And uh, we finally, uh, and you walk into the room that the Mona Lisa's in, and you're like, just a big wall, because it's on the other side of the wall. Okay. And so I go around the wall, and you just see people everywhere. And it's an art gallery. In art galleries, everyone, are, they're really quiet, and they're very nice, and they're thinking, oh, what does that make me feel, blah, blah, blah. That is not what the experience with the Mona Lisa was. There were people on people on people on people. There. It looked like Justin Bieber was there or something like that. It was ridiculous. And uh, there was this big kind of like um, gate around it so you couldn't even get that close, and there's this painting on the wall. It's the Mona Lisa, and it was amazing. I don't know if it was amazing because everyone wanted to see it. But I want you to know this. The Mona Lisa, poema, it's a masterpiece. And because it's a masterpiece, people desire to see it. The Bible calls you poema. It calls your neighbors Poema, God's masterpiece. We learned about this at VBS, that we are all uniquely wired and created by God. God did not mess up when he created you, and he did not mess up when he created your neighbors. The Bible calls them God's poema. Even that neighbor that won't mow their yard and parks in front of your house every day, he's still God's poema. Why? Why? Because at the beginning, God created everything, and he said it was good. And he created man, and man ruled, and then he saw that man needed a partner, and he said that, um, that it's not good for man to be alone. He brings a woman alongside, and the Bible tells us that man and woman were created in the imago day, in the image of God. All of God's creation not called poema, man and woman created in the image of God, poema, masterpiece, important to God. God is running after them just like he's running after you. So often we look at our neighbors, don't mow their yards, park in front of our house, uh, play loud music, you name it, and we see their badness. We see all the things that annoy us about them. Jesus saw a group of people that were probably similar. In Matthew chapter 9, he sees them and he says, verse 36, he looked at them with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In order to reshape our thinking, we need to have the mentality of the kingdom. We need to live a life with the kingdom mindset. That, that we don't look at our neighbors and we see all their badness and all their trash and all their frustrating things that they do to us. We look at them and we, we have compassion on them because they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're living in the dark and they need the light. You know what Jesus did when he saw those people? He had compassion on them and he gave them what they needed, which is him. 
We have the lights. We have neighbors that are the poema of God, the masterpiece of God created in his image. And we look at them and so often we see their badness and what God wants us to see is their brokenness. And when we begin to see their brokenness, we begin to live a life with the kingdom mindset and we see them like Jesus sees them and we have compassion on them and we pursue them with the light of Jesus. Not because we're great, No, no, no. It's because we're reshaping our thinking and we're saying that he is greater than me. And because he is greater than me, I'm going to go outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to go over there and talk with them. I'm going to go and say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but if you need me, I'm going to mow my yard on Saturday and I can come over and mow yours as well. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want you to know I can be here for you if you need me. Because Jesus takes the word neighbor And he flips it on its head. He flips it on its head because he knew that the kingdom of darkness has a hold of your neighbors. And he knows that the kingdom of darkness has duped and distracted them. Because for us, we're never going to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness if we have a me first mentality. Because Jesus took the word neighbor and he took it from a person and made it an action. Neighbor is no longer a person. It is a way that we live. So what I want us to look at, the the actual title of the sermon, I didn't want to give it away, is how to neighbor. Because I think this is the right question that we should be asking. Not who is my neighbor, because that's the wrong question. That's the lowest common denominator. The question is, God, how can I be a neighbor? How can I neighbor? How can you neighbor? That's That's a great question, because he took the word from a noun, and he made it a verb. Verbs are action words. Actions. Not passive. Active. You will never be a neighbor if you're sitting back hoping that your neighbors come to you. The only way that you can be the neighbor that God has for you is if you pursue them. If you are active. We're going to build upon this in the next three weeks, but I want you to know that when you begin to ask the right questions, you can begin to determine the correct answers. And it's not Who is my neighbor? It's how can I neighbor? And here's the answer. It's at the very beginning of this whole story. It's the first response that the lawyer had. He says, hey, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus' response, what does the law say? And this man said it. He said, how to neighbor? He said, love God and love people. It's simple. How do you neighbor? You love God and you love people. You love God, the creator of the universe. He who brought everything into existence and created you as his poema. You love him with your whole self, not just part of it, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, not just when it's convenient. You love him with everything that you are. You let him take over your life and it's he greater than me. You love him with your entirety of yourself. And then you because you're in love with this God who's created you and you're, uh, you're beginning to have a mind of God because your thinking is being reshaped, you begin to look at the people that he created. You begin to look at them like he does. 
And it's a natural response to love people, even the most unlovable. We love them because he loved us. How do you neighbor? You love God? You pursue him recklessly. And you love people. The people that God created. It's not rocket science. This is, this is so easy, but so hard. Why? Because we always have to fight against ourselves. Why are we fighting against ourselves? Because we're in a battle. We're in an epic battle against the kingdom of darkness. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it doesn't matter. The kingdom of darkness, its desire is to kill, steal, and destroy you and those around you. And whether you acknowledge that or not, the battle is being fought. And so many of us like to just stand on the sidelines and think, well, maybe if I don't think about it, it's not really happening. But the reality is the people around you are enslaved to their sin and blinded by that. They're blinded to the reality that they need desperately a Savior. There's a battle being fought for the souls of those around us. And I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. Let's get in there and fight. Let's get in there and care about the people that live the closest to us, that God has literally placed within a radius that you can throw a rock at. Let's begin to think and care about their souls like Jesus cares about their souls. We look at them as God's poema. Let's fight for their hearts. It's going to be active. I don't have time for that. I know you don't have time for that. But you know what you don't have time for? Not doing that. Because you don't know how much time they have. You don't know how much time you have. What kind of life are you living in? How are you sharing that with the people around you that God has placed next door to you? It's his poema. So get in the battle. It's time to fight. Let's be neighbors to our neighbors. Let's be neighbors to our neighbors. And so this is what I want us to do. I, I want to spend a few moments examining our hearts. Because in order for us to be the neighbors that God has for us to be, we need to be in a relationship, in a right relationship with him the way we need to be. So let's examine our hearts. How are you in God? Because it's simple. Love God, love people. How are you in God? I'm going to ask you three questions. How are you in God? Think about this. Where are you in him not good? It's okay to not be good with him. But acknowledge where you and him are not seeing eye to eye on. Where are you in him not good? What are you and him missing? Where are you missing with him? And how much are you communicating with him? Because communication involves both speaking and listening, right? We speak to God through prayer and we listen to God through his word. 
How are you communicating with them? What are you missing? And where are you and him not good? Think about that. Because this horizontal relationship between you and God fills that vertical relationship between you and the people around you, your neighbors. So how are you and God? Where are you not good? What are you missing? How much are you communicating with him? Because unless we're tapped into him, we're never going to be the neighbors that he wants us to be. And the next question I have for you is, how do you neighbor? How are you on this plane? Are you a me first kind of person? If you are, that's, that's fine. Acknowledge it. Because it's, you're never, your life is never going to be transformed with you trying to hide stuff from God. He already knows that you're selfish. Acknowledge it. God, I'm a me first kind of person. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to be that kind of person, but I know I am. Help me not be like that. How do you neighbor? Do you value others? Do you value the people that God has placed in your life? Don't give me, yeah, yeah, sure, I do. No, no, no. Because you can tell what you value by how you act and how much time you spend, how much effort you put into it. Do you value others? And the last question is, are you living with the kingdom mindset? Are you living with the kingdom mindset? Are you thinking about people around you and you're not seeing their badness, but you see their brokenness? Because this is the only way that we can be the neighbors that God's called us to be. How are you with God? And how are you at being a neighbor? Let me pray for us.